0: where we discuss the competitive side of the game. I'm Charles, and today with me are Richard, Ian, and Alexander. Okay, so this is a special episode. It is a Q&A episode where we've gathered a bunch of questions from the community, and it is to celebrate our 10,000 plays milestone. So we hit 10,000 plays around the time when episode 25 came out, And we've been gathering questions the last few weeks, and these are questions from our listeners, and we'll try to answer as many as we can. Hope you guys like it, and thanks to every single person for checking on our podcast and continuing to provide us feedback and give suggestions on what you would like to hear. So our first question comes from, (laughs) I'm sorry if I mispronounced your last name, but uh, Mike Donch, and Mike asks are evil hobbit armies competitive besides goblin town are the heroes too expensive or the alliance matrix too restrictive to be competitive
1: i think so just like if you look it's like one of the few times evil actually has a really good alliance matrix is with the hobbit evil armies there's what there's azog's hunters azog's legion and then um the necromancer uh, what list uh, what's it called dark powers and you can, I think there's a lot of things you can do there with just with that alliance matrix in it of itself. Like, it, because they're all green together, it's like you basically have full access to like three different lists worth of like heroes and like special troops and stuff that you can just mishmash together pretty easily.
0: Yeah, I think so definitely. I think even if their army lists seem a little less in variety, like in terms of unit types and heroes. There are a bunch of them that are competitive at some points levels, so you can go lower points. So let's say Azogs Hunters, they don't have Fury, but uh, with Hunter Orcs being such a great profile, they're good at low points. So they're competitive, it's just maybe in a a different points level than you're normally used to.
2: Well, Even for uh, higher points levels, I think Azogs Legion is a bit underrated. I think there's a bit of a barrier in terms of monetary costs like they're one of the most expensive armies if not the most expensive if you're going to go monsters but i do think that like from a competitive standpoint that they are quite underrated like they definitely have to play a certain play style but i I do think they have like potential for top tables
3: i think um one of the keys and i think i brought this up a lot is just that a lot of these armies can be competitive, like we've already said, maybe at different points levels. They all have their spot. It's just a matter of how you play it, at what level. But if you play around with it, I'm sure most of them can probably find the right area, even like Dark Denizens of Markwood, definitely have a spot with the Spider Queen, the giant spiders that can be pretty mean too. Okay, thank
0: you, Mike, for that question. Our next question comes from Pat Bertoli. What are your thoughts about siege weapons in the game? Overall, from my perspective, I don't really think they add to my enjoyment of the game. And I tend to think they don't really fit into a skirmish game. If they're going to remain in the game, I'd like to see them reworked. What are your thoughts? Agree. Agree that they should be reworked or removed from the game? Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Partially, yes. Like. I don't have a lot of issues with the, the, the direct fire weapons, like the ballistas. They seem to work okay, and, like, they do damage, but you'd expect them to do damage. And those kind of things, like, even though this is a skirmish game, like, ballista kind of things, firing bolts, may have been used in those kind of situations, historically, big air quotes. But, like, the way the trebuchets work and the catapults work, it's just, like, it's, yeah, it's not exactly fun. No. Yeah. But there's the Mordor one, the Gondor one, and then the Iron Hills one. All the, like, the indirect fire ones that do splash damage, those ones are just like, they're not a lot of fun to play with. <laughs>
0: this is what I think. Last edition, they were kind of bad, so you only saw them in narrative like Siege games. And I like how they got a boost in this edition where they became part of the options. It's It's like another way you can play the game. But I agree, I don't like the indirect fire, how they can just take out a really expensive hero outright. I think that kind of coin toss kind of aspect I don't like. So I would probably vote to rework them. And because this game is based on like what you see in the books and the movies. and I don't think that in the movie you see any heroes, like named heroes, get killed by a siege engine. So I would like to see maybe... Something simple like a named hero or something can use a fate point to avoid being hit by a siege engine. I think that would remove a lot of the problems, honestly, because generally that's like the biggest frustration, right? Is when your your leader gets shot out immediately or like your 200 point hero loses his horse on the first turn just because your opponent rolled two sixes in a row and there's nothing that you could do about it. I think as long as that is removed from the game, they're fine.
3: I think I agree with Charles about something needing to be reworked so that big heroes can't be eliminated outright by a large siege engine. I think they have their place in the game because they can be relatively expensive, even like a casadoom dwarf ballista. you know it it costs a fair chunk. You have to plan it into your list, and if you when you do that, you have to lose out on something else, so you have to if you take it. It's going to dictate a certain way of playing, and it it really alters how you structure your list. It usually means leaving a gap somewhere else in those terms. I think it's okay, but I do agree with Charles. I think maybe something needs to be reworked, even if it's, you know, um, instead of being killed outright, it does uh, D3 wounds, and there's no auto-kill included, so that bait points can be used, and you might just lose one wound or two wounds on a three-wound hero as opposed to splat. Like the big foot from Monty Python?
0: That's how it works now. Using one fate, you can save all the wounds. I think it's just avoid it being hit. Just an example a couple of years ago, I was at a tournament, and my opponent had Iron Hill's Ballista. He rolled two sixes in a row on the first turn. He dismounted Aragorn. And then the next turn, he rolled two sixes in a row and dismounted Boromir. So those were the two threats in my army. And it was only because he rolled two sixes. But then on the other hand, you don't want to discredit him because he did put a lot of points into that siege engine. So, you know, my proposal is to allow heroes to use a fate point to avoid being hit like altogether. Similar to that scene in the movie where Gothmog sees the trebuchet shot coming at him and then he steps out of the way.
2: So, so if it's a splash damage, you're proposing that it just hits the troops around him? Or is it more like a Tom Bombadil? It's like, poof. The rock is gone. I, yeah, like, hit somewhere else, or, or if they use a fate point,
0: then your opponent can't choose to scatter in in an area that would affect them. Because it's usually your opponent chooses to scatter.
2: I mean, yeah, uh, sure. Like, I guess that might help. It's a bit, like, tricky when it comes to that. There's, like, a lot of rules you might have to write. I I think, like, just in general, my issue is that, like, like you said, it's so many points and just some games it's it does so much too much probably and it swings the the game and it's not really skill based and then on the other hand you have games where they're total duds and where if i'm the opponent i even feel bad for my for my enemy because there's like you got a 200 point catapult that's like not doing anything so I don't know, I, I just don't love the swing of the games and I don't think it promotes or sort of like encourages like the more skilled player to win the game. I mean, I talked about this in previous episodes of like what I like and dislike about the game. I, I just want the better player to be rewarded or the better tactician.
0: Yeah, Yeah, definitely needs some kind of rework. So thanks for that question, Pat. So our next person submitted a question and an army list so we'll go with his question first it's pretty straightforward so it's from daniel james co and his question is for the battle company players so i guess out of us that would be ian
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah so
0: yeah. <laughs> he, daniel okay. asks what do you think if in battle companies there was no limit to the size of companies and a hero's stats what would be a cool company that you would build so, for instance, after fifty games, you could have a hero with Balrog level stats.
1: I don't know how I would feel about that because I'll, I'll preface this like I, I only played a lot of um, I played the first edition of Battle Companies like a reasonable amount, so I have like a good handle on that. And then I didn't really play the second edition that much, so I, from my understanding, they fixed a lot of the issues that were there in the in the first one. But from what I remember, even playing like 10 games i like could end up with a hero who cost like 70 points and had like on the charge he had five attacks <laughs> and it was just like absolutely insane so like on one perspective i don't know how much fun you would have once you started like if you didn't put a cap on it because i think things could just get absolutely insane on the other hand Seeing how insane things could get could be a lot of fun. I don't know though. Uh, what if you they... would have an elf with a Balrog stat line. What, what, but that's kind of like thematic though. Like I feel like great like First Age elves would get to like that kind of power level. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, something to
3: think about, right? I don't know. I remember Ian's Battle Companies. He played with somebody else for about a week. I came back and just I got. I got, like, it didn't matter how many re-rolls I was granted. um, He would charge me, and there was no hope. He had, effectively, what was supposed to be a Minas Tirith Knight captain with five attacks on the charge, and who would get, like, plus one fight value on the charge or something. So he was, like, fight seven. He was essentially Glorfindel with no weaknesses. When you say a, a hero with Balrog-level stats... That's it. It was Glorfindel with no weaknesses.
0: So Daniel also sent us an army list, and he calls this list the Lords of Erebor. It is 750 points, and it looks like it's an alliance between Iron Hills and Army of Thor. So just read out his list, and then we can give him some of our feedback on how we would change it. Uh, So 750 points. He doesn't say who is his leader, but... I'll just go over the warbands. So first warband is Thror with nine Guardians of the King. Second warband is Thrain with fifteen Grimhammers, and the third warband is Dane Ironfoot. Doesn't say if um, Dane is on a pig, and he's leading seven Grimhammers. I
1: think he priced him at at one seventy though, or one sixty. One sixty. Okay, so he would have
0: it would have the pig.
1: Yeah.
0: So. I guess the first thing that uh, I, I kind of notice is uh, Grimhammers wouldn't be able to be in Dane's warband because Dane is from Iron Hills. So I think his idea with this list is to do a all Grimhammers list. So I think in that case, maybe it's maybe I would just build like a pure army of Thor list and go with Thorin as Thorn or in a captain as my third and fourth heroes. What do you guys think?
1: That's exactly what I was thinking. If you're going to, if he wants to do just great memories, I think it, you'll lose like one or two models to get Thorne and the captain in there. But I think that that works out better. And then you can actually have like distribute the models to be led by them. My other thought is that this kind of reminds me of that list. I took to um, that little mini tournament last summer. And then we, we talked about it in one of our episodes way back. I don't remember which one it was. It was one of our earlier episodes, but if you really want Dane, it's not too hard to swap out, you know, about a dozen of the grimhammers for a dozen iron hills with spears and shields, and I think that would just like increase the effectiveness of, the, of this list a lot.
2: I agree, and I mean, like we always talk about like efficiency, and um, I think definitely throwing some warriors of Erebor, you can get more numbers, you can get shields and spears, so you get a actual battle line. But if you really, really want to go <laughs> all grimhammers, like you know just for the fun of it because what throwing weapons right i do suggest taking a banner or two just because you do want to be rolling at least two dice and just having like one dice when you get charged is just not good enough
1: well he's still uh, got the six inch banner from throw he got the six inch banner but yeah if he, i think i agree if he is gonna go just frontline troops with throwing weapons. The way he's going to win games is just by having a massive line of dudes that just envelops the enemy battle line, just constantly throwing axes. So yeah, maybe yeah. Like one more banner wouldn't be a bad idea. And then it'll affect Dane, too, which you, can, you want as well. You want all your heroes rolling as many dice as possible.
3: Aside from the banner, which also came to mind for me, one thing I thought of, and it's been partially mentioned, is the need for general warriors with shields, because I've found that when i played dwarf lists that don't have enough shields, Lacking the ability to use the shielding mechanic becomes a a big issue. If you get hit with like a cavalry charge or something really just something swift, cavalry charges, big heroes, the inability to shield means that if they have one good turn, your army starts to fold pretty quickly. Whereas if you can shield, and withstand that initial charge, you've got a much better chance of rebounding. So I'd probably want to at least throw in, maybe take a third of those numbers out and put in uh, Iron Hill Storks with shields.
2: But just to conclude, I guess I would say, God help your opponent in Clash by Moonlight, if you happen to play that scenario.
0: Yeah, <laughs> how many Grimheimers is this? 22 plus 9.
1: I am 29, or sorry, no, 30 sorry, 31. 29, 29, yeah, it's a lot. I mean, to be fair, he still has the Dane 4-plus Master of Battle in there, plus 31 throwing
2: weapons, like... Well, we're saying, like, if he takes this illegal list, right, he can't have Dane yeah. and How all happened? the throwing weapons.
1: Well, yeah, he could, though, he could just have Dane as a single drop, and then... Yeah, he could the put the Grimhammers like.
0: into Thor's Warband.
1: Yeah, into Thor and, and Thor's Oh, okay. Yeah. This is definitely a meme list, but I actually think it's, like, it's one of those things where it's, like, it's a meme list, but it still has the potential to just be absolutely devastating. Because, like, dude, once you get to that many throwing weapons, if you get, like, one or two turns off, you're still going to kill, like, a lot of stuff with that. It'll be fun either way. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Okay, thanks, Daniel, for the question and the army list for us to review. Our next question is from Richard Smith, and uh, Richard asks... Are there any tricks or tactics for special rules where a profile goes crazy when another profile dies? So, for example, Toriel and Keely. When Keely dies, Toriel loses a defense and gains a strength. Aylmer and Eowyn, and uh, the Elven twins. Are there any special tricks that you guys can think of?
3: Based on this question, the question assumes that you have a list that has both of them in it. But... In the case of perhaps the twins from Rivendell, I would say keep the models close together. Because normally if one of them dies, the other one has to chase down the model that killed the other model. So I'd say if you keep them close together, you can at least try and get there quickly and get that job done so that you can regain some control.
2: I don't think
0: he's trying to ask uh, ways to prevent it from happening. I think he's trying to ask of like... When it does go off, like when one of them does die and this special rule is triggered, is there is there any way you can use it to your advantage? Because most of the time it's negative, right? You don't want it to happen. It's like Bard and the kids, right? When the kids die, there's basically, there's no positives to Bard going crazy.
1: So uh, I'm just flicking through the book right now. Looking at AMR's, uh special one, it just says that he gets plus one to wound for all rolls during the fight phase. But he has to charge if he's able to do so. And I think that's a key, that's an important thing. It doesn't say he has to charge the closest model. That's a big difference, right? The twins, it says that, right? Yeah, I'm just, just going to go check out their profile. Or was it, it
0: Bard? For Bard, it's um, the model that killed the daughter.
1: Yeah, for Bard, it's that. Yeah. So for Amer, he just has to charge. That's like the same thing as Steadrid's special, where you have to charge. So that one's pretty easy to like to make use
0: of. Ian, yeah, you've done this in a game before, right? Where you like threw in Eowyn to die on purpose so that Eowyn would yeah, get a plus
1: one. Yeah, a while back because I just wanted to see what it would be like. So I used, yeah, I just used Eowyn as a hand grenade and just like chucked her at a hero. And I think she chipped off some wounds and then died. And then Eowyn just got super powered up and was just like, ah, plus one to wound for no reason. Strength five, blah, like a mini dane Yeah, and that that is cool. It is cool. Like that, I think that's maybe a viable strategy. It's probably not the smartest thing to do, but it was fun. So, yeah, the twins say it has to move towards the closest enemy model, charging if able to do so. And then I think, I believe with the twins' rule, theirs is, is, is even more difficult, too, because it says, I think, they have to do, like, anything in their power to get to the model. They have to call, like, heroic moves. So they heroic call heroic moves. moves and stuff. So if that happens, if you think that's going to happen, maybe try and use your mic beforehand so it's not, like, being wasted on, on
3: stuff. Alex? Uh, one thing, just kind of going off of what you just said, in situations where it says must charge the nearest enemy model if possible, one thing that you can do to mitigate that is to move all of your other models first in a matter that you want them to, in order to make either the nearest model possible to your advantage or to be able to get them to move in the direction you want them to. Because if the nearest model possible is... Six inches over in one direction because you've charged everything else, and that's the direction you want that hero to go in. You can do that, but otherwise, yeah, it can be it can be pretty difficult to work around if you move them first, because they'll just go one inch to the next, hitting everything they can, which can still be pretty devastating, but the control level is not great.
2: Yeah, I mean, um I think Alex brings up a good point. It, it reminds me, like... If you move your other models before the crazy model goes and say, you need to protect them like a bard or a Elmer, if they're your leader, you can box them in, in a way that they might not have to charge in. So that might be like a a bit of a trick if you don't actually want them to get into combat.
0: A quick one about Toriel. That one specifically is just, she's not forced to charge anyone. She just, Gains one strength and loses one defense. It's really simple. So I guess if you think that's going to happen, you use her to target models that are like defense five or defense seven, things that you normally would have trouble wounding at strength four. After you get the buff, you can kind of charge specific uh, defense values to to gain that.
1: That is actually a a good point. (laughs) I remember this is a long time ago, but I was using the twins and I was fighting dwarves and it was like I was getting really bogged down because I just couldn't, roll anything to wound i couldn't roll sixes to wound and then one of the twins died and because the other one got the strength buff all of a sudden he could actually kill the dwarves like twice as effectively and he just went crazy just started massacring guys so the strength buff is actually it is an advantage it is helpful but like (laughs) obviously usually you'd rather have two heroes alive
3: you just got to use all the other models around it as, like, blinders to stop it from just kind of, like, swerving and hitting everything that it can. But, yeah, I mean, I've never seen it actually work that way, Ian, but if if you can do that, you let me know. Because uh, letting one thing die in order to charge up another thing can be a pretty risky uh, strategy there.
1: I don't think I would do it with the Twins. But like the, the Amr one isn't that difficult, so I think that one's fine. Like the Toriel one is the same thing. Like you're not bogged if Keeley dies. Like she just goes up a strength, and you're like, cool. But and then, yeah. then the other thing is like the the, the Keeley Toriel one. Like that's like, that's very rarely gonna happen outside of scenario play, because it's just like I don't I don't see that that alliance happening that much anyway.
2: I think Games Workshop's trying to um, get someone to start a thematic force revolving around that romance it hurts because it was real Richard. there are no (laughs) downsides to love (laughs) 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 only upsides thank you richard for that question the next
0: question is again i'm sorry for butchering your name is from theodore victla and theodore asks do you feel that you need to calculate probabilities in game I actually tried to make a cheat sheet for myself as when to use pick, faint, two handed, et cetera. But I got a lot of pushback in the Swedish community who felt that you should just air quotes, play the game. I'm interested to know your stance on the RNG elements of the game. When do you go in for the gamble and at what points, since at lower points, it's more volatile. So I guess this is a multiple part question. So, cause he makes a cheat sheet before he goes to tournaments. Do you think it affects your sportsmanship when you do that? And um, if you do it, like, how do you do it? And then also, um, what is your general stance on the RNG elements of the game?
3: I think it's something that I make relatively straightforward decisions regarding that. I don't get too into the exact stats. But, for instance, where this happens to me most is with my Kazudim army. I have a lot of strength three, and I have a lot of piercing strike because of the axes. And what I find I'll do is having that strength three, if I come up against a model that I know is defense six, if I'm one-on-one and I'm in range of a banner, he's defense six, I'm strength three, knowing that going up by one, I would wound him on fives instead. I would pierce in that situation. Normally, if going up by one changes the die roll that I need, I'm more likely to do it. I'm also more likely to do it if I'm within banner range or if I have supports. Those are pretty much all the things that I really take into consideration. That and would going down by one on defense negatively affect me. So it's just a few kind of smaller aspects. I don't don't really get too much into the exact math. You can, and I don't see anything wrong with that or with that being an issue. I know some players really like exact stats, but not getting too much into exact numbers. But that's because it's not my style.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if I would go I, as, so far as to say, like, like print out a sheet and look at that when you're looking at probabilities. As long as you have, like, a good idea of, like, if you're, like, you're more like, like, oh, I'm, like, I don't know, I have, like, a 70% chance to, like, win this fight. Okay, then, yeah, I can do X, Y, Z. So, like, once you get more experience and you get a handle on that, I, I don't think you need to, like, go more in-depth than in that. The other thing is, is it's still a dice game. So don't overanalyze every combat and I know I do this sometimes where it's like okay what if I do this and I do that and I do that and then I make like a tricky decision and then the dice are rolled and you know it goes against me and I go oh that was the wrong decision you know it, it it's still a dice game so don't don't overthink like every small combat.
2: I I do agree with you like it's good to have like some basic probabilities in your mind for the basic combats. I think that's just general like smart play. Um, you know, it's it's what like if you if anyone ever plays like poker, it's the same thing. You do want to have some idea of the odds. But of course, like I personally wouldn't have any issue with you having printed out stuff there. It's like it's not something I would do, but I don't have anything against it. I think the issue is more the time. Like if you're whipping out a calculator, you have like a blank sheet of paper, you're writing a quadratic formula or something then okay that's a bit much then it's like but otherwise like if you're if you're just doing a quick scan of whatever um sheet you have printed out i think go for it
0: personally i don't have a problem i don't think it's like bad sportsmanship whatever to bring a cheat sheet because just look at games workshops products like they they have like tokens they have general pack they have wound charts and stuff like you can call those in a way a cheat sheet as well like If it helps you, then go for it. And generally, knowing these numbers, they help, but, you know, they would only help if it doesn't take away from your concentration and the time needed to make your proper decisions. So if you feel like you can, in a tournament setting, do everything else right, and this kind of just, like, gives you that extra step that you need to excel in in a tournament setting then then yes go for it but if you're like kind of struggling with the basics and you're still trying to learn tactics and and stuff like that i wouldn't really make this a priority but if it does help you in any way then keep doing it i, I don't think it's bad at all
1: i think we also should say there there are like a decent number of resources online just to get a, a reasonable handle on these like uh, like the chances of you winning a fight and stuff like that, and I, there, there's like a straight up like an actual somebody built like a proper Excel spreadsheet for like combats in SBG, and you can say how many dice you have, who has the fight advantage, if you have like negative, plus, minus modifiers, whatever. And I remember they talked about it on the Green Dragon. So if you really want to like get into it, you can go and use that. You can go look at breakdowns online. There's there's one in one of the um the SBG uh the the magazines, the fanzine. Um, that the Brits make. I remember one of the earlier uh, editions they made, they they had an article about just basic fight value breakdowns. So go read those, keep those in the back of your head. All right. Thank you, Theodore,
0: for that question. Our next question comes from Keenan McFadden, and it is, what model has the best thematic rule regardless of how effective they are competitively? So I already have an answer to this question in my mind because I think someone else asked me just a few months ago, and that's Grima Wormtongue. Uh, I think the rules for Grima and the Grima profile represents him perfectly, just the way that he can be deployed with the enemy, he can't be killed very easily, and how he can disrupt your battle plan, disrupt um, your hero's actions. Perfect representation of who he is as a character.
2: It's funny that um, I kind of have the flip side of this. So I actually chose Theoden. And I really like how he is not like the most, like the strongest beat stick, but he's based around inspiring the troops around him. But my favorite rule about him actually involves Grima Wormtongue as well. And where if Grima is close to him, he becomes fight three one attack can't use will like he he becomes super weak and and I think that's super thematic I I mean it rarely happens but I think on the off chance it does it's just it's just a great moment.
1: So when we first saw these questions submitted I remember I thought of a hero and I can't remember who it is and it it's really bugging me right now. <laughs> um,
3: is it Haldir?
1: It's not Haldir. I do like Haldir, though. Who else but Haldir? Come on. There's, there's no there's no other answer. But in this case, I the, the one that first came to mind just now when we were talking about it, kind of on the same kind of track, is, um, is Denethor. Because of, like, the special rules that he has, like, it's the same thing, where, like, you take him in a list and he's just like, no, I'm the leader. I don't care if you're way better than me. I'm the leader. yeah And then, like, Half the time, he just goes crazy and starts slapping down his guards, like, ah, and like, and it, like, the, the freaking palantir like got him possessed. He said, like, it's great. <laughs> so I, I'm just thinking about that and, like, yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs>
3: yeah. And if you lose Bormir, he's essentially like, flee, flee for your lives, and just runs around in a massive circle. Yeah. Uh, that's a good one. I like that one. I really had the hardest time actually deciding on this one. I kept thinking about it and I was like, thematic rules, I really like. And I feel like we don't actually end up seeing it a ton because it takes two heroes to do this. But the uh, the synergy between Legolas and Gimli, uh, their back and forth uh, kill count special rules, I think are really fun just because of the way the personalities counteract in the films. I think that rule is just really amusing. It actually makes the two of them you know, a lot better in game if they're together. So I, I really like how that works out. There's a lot of these rules that I like. They don't come up a ton, and I don't think in game Legless and Gimli's rule works maybe quite as well as it does on paper. But that's right. also because you don't see them all the time together in lists. So
1: I would love to see a doubles team somehow make a list like that work, where they each one of them has a Legless and a Gimli. So, they're like competing against each other while like playing their doubles games. That'd be so fun.
3: So, what I'm hearing from you is sometime in the future, we're going to have a doubles tournament and you're going to have Legolas and I'm going to have Gimli. That's all I'm hearing.
1: You can make it happen.
3: You can find a way.
0: <laughs> Thank you for that question, Keenan. So, now we have a second army list to review. And uh, this one is from Jake DeLui. And it is a pure Moria list, and I'll just read through this army list quickly. It is 800 points, and Derber's Goblin King of Moria is the leader, and he's leading two goblins with shield, three with spear, two with orc bow, one with no gear, and a drum team, and a bat swarm. Second warband is Groblog, and he's leading three goblins with shield, three goblins with spear, two goblins with orc bow, and two prowlers, and then we have a goblin captain with shield leading four goblins with shield, four goblins with spear, two prowlers, and then we have a second captain with shield leading four goblins with shield, three goblins with spear, and two prowlers, and then we have a black shield shaman leading four goblins with shield, two goblins with spear, and the sixth and final warband is the watcher in the water. So that comes to 54 models, 12 bows. 800 points.
3: Thoughts on this list? The one thing that jumped out at me. I like the general breakdown. The numbers aren't bad, especially because you have the watch from the water. And I think the four of us all know just how much of a game changer that profile can be. The only thing that really worries me. I don't feel like you really need Groblog in there. I think he's a little bit redundant. And the other thing that worries me, while the Moria Black Shield Shaman is a effective little side profile to throw in there, not having a standard Moria Shaman would scare me. Just because you don't have any fury in the list, you're very low courage. Any situation that would cause you to have to pass courage tests, you know, terror-causing armies, terror bubbles, especially if you break, that army is going to go running. That's my one big concern.
2: Okay, I agree with the shaman, but you almost snuck this past me saying Groblog is not a good pick. Groblog is a great pick in this list. Like, you're taking mass goblins here. You're taking a bunch of prowlers, so Groblog allows you to get to that like fight five and even fight six on divers. Like, Groblog is amazing, and and he's he's only 50 points, three might, 800 points. Like, yeah, he, he's a must take. So I like that pick, Jake. I think I agree with Alex about the Black Shield Shaman. Having one, it's kind of like your shatter might might not go off. I'd rather probably just take the, the regular Shaman for courage. And then I think one more change I would do, otherwise I think your list is great, is the one Bat Swarm. Like having a lot of experience now playing the Watcher in the Water, you're going to want one bat swarm like stuck to the watcher basically threatening like to drag heroes with strike and killing them so like having the another one allows you some like mobility you know you can threaten backlines you can threaten objectives so i personally think that it's worth the points like even if you have to take like 5 6 guys out of the list
1: Okay, so I agree with you, Richard. I think, yeah, it'd be nice to get the second Batswarm in there. But, like, it it will compromise your numbers a little bit, but I I think, yeah, just, like, having a second Batswarm, because he has so many other Prowlers in there, too, with Groblog, like, you can get that other combo where it's just Batswarm and Prowlers, and you you can kill a big hero with that if you you set it up right.
3: Richard, you've convinced me on the the Groblog pick there, because when I review the profile again... It's the only other hero in the list here that has strike. So I think it's actually, it's a decent pick. I think I'm used to the idea that people usually pick one or the other, but that's for a different breakdown. I mean, this.
2: I, I mean strike and defense. So yeah. like he, if, he's someone you throw into a big hero, call defense three times for 50 points.
3: Uh, yeah. Plus the ability to to roll that die. At the start of a fight phase, for however long he's alive, it can make a big difference when your army is, what, fight two standard? So to be able to go up to three or four can be a big difference, especially when you're fighting against other evil armies.
1: The other thing is, is he does have the the, the Goblin Drum in there. So he has, like, plus one courage over, what is it, it's eight, 18 inches? Or is it Battlefield-wide? It's 18 inches, because it's not the Legion. Okay, so it's not the least... But he still has... He has a Courage buff in there, and then he still has reasonable numbers, so I think he could get away without having the actual Shaman in there. But I will agree with you guys. If he is going to go for the Black Shield Shaman, commit, take two, (laughs) and, like, really harass the enemy heroes with it. Because you still have another Captain in there, so you get the March in there if you really need to move some of your army up. But I, I don't know. I feel like one Black Shield Shaman is a nice thing to try and do, but like you're not gonna pull it off in that many games against like big enemy heroes. But if you have two in there, it's it's not an unreasonable chance that you'll be able to shatter a big hero's weapons, considering it's yeah, it's on a three plus. So if you have two of them, that's six dice you can throw just at, at three pluses just to try and then like unless that hero's really good at rolling sixes, they're gonna lose their weapons. So I love the list. The only
0: suggestion that I would really make is uh, maybe try to squeeze in a second big threat. Now, I know that this is like a goblin horde list and uh, you're trying to get the numbers up, especially if you follow these guys' advice and go for the shaman. I would consider removing the drum and putting in maybe a cave troll or putting in a couple marauders, um, something that hits hard as well. Just in case that your opponent finds a way or gets lucky and neutralizes the Watcher early game, then if that happens and you're really just relying on mass numbers to win the game, which can be difficult depending on what your opponent has, but if you have the second threat, they have to go up against a Cave Troll or another hard-hitting model. If you do take their advice and take the Gamoria Shaman, then definitely I don't think you need the drum.
2: This is uh this is kind of like the unexpected podcast uh, argument between the Moria Goblin Drum or the Cave Troll. I I see where you're coming from, but I I probably disagree. I I do like the Drum here over the Cave Troll because at 54 models, like in a way, that is the second threat. Like he's got like a good amount of prowlers, so that's 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 quite a bit of uh, hitting power already. So. I mean, you can't underestimate just 50 models bearing down on you. And then, you know, like, they're all re-rolling with the spear support as well. So it's a different kind of threat than the cave troll.
0: So Jake said that this is for a good versus evil tournament. What do we think about his list in a good versus evil setting?
2: I think in that case, I kind of understand him not going for the regular shaman. Because he's not going to face as many terror models, and I do like the double captains with the with the four potential marches because you do want to close that distance. But I think again, like this screams to me that you actually do need another bat swarm at least because I find that if you're playing good side, they're the ones with the the deadly mounted heroes. So I find that bat swarms are actually more useful against good side. I'm doubling down on my black shield shaman thing.
1: <laughs> if you're gonna have one, go for two. Especially yeah, if it's good, if it's versus good list, because like same same reason Richard said, like you're just gonna need that extra hero shutdown.
0: Yeah, initially I was going to say that maybe maybe having 12 bows is is a little much. Oh, hold on, let me see how many. But it says 12 bows at the top, but there's only four in the warbands.
2: He's, I wonder if he's counting the Goblin Prowler throwing weapons. Okay. Okay,
0: so it says 12 bows at the top, but I guess he's including the Prowlers throwing weapons because I, I only see um, four bows. But regardless, I, I like the amount of shooting that you have because before I was going to suggest maybe it's a little too many. But I think this is great because if you're going up against good side, you know, like Richard said, you'll be facing mounted heroes and throwing weapons into combat is great. So it's another way to get rid of mounts and neutralize that type of threat. So shooting's good, despite what some people might say about Moria shooting. That was our discussion and review of this Moria list. Thank you, Jake, for submitting it. Our next question comes from Andrew Brock and Don Barnett from North of the Shire podcast. And the question is, what is one rule that you would remove from the game
3: and why? I feel like charles is already going to say auto kill from siege engines it's uh came up already and he was pretty adamant so that might be a thing
0: so i think there are um, a bunch of rules that i would rework instead of removing altogether but there are a couple spells in the game that i just i just think maybe it's it needs like a major rework or just should not be in the game so one of them is Fortify Spirit. So like I'm fine with it being a rule, like something that Elendil and Glorfindel have, but I don't like it as like a spell that can be easily cast on anyone from a hero, just giving a model immunity or near immunity from magic. So I think something needs to change. I don't like how there's just any good army that wants to get a top table, just ally and Lady of Light, and then basically gives instant immunity to their whole army.
2: That's the thing where it's not necessarily Fortify Spirit that's the problem. It's Lady of (laughs) Light.
0: Yeah, because no one one abuses Ganolf the Whites for his Fortify Spirit.
1: This is a struggle to think of things right now, honestly. Um, But if I had to come up with something, I think it might be re-rolling special rules that allow re-rolling to shooting attacks to wound. I think there's... Probably a few too many of them. Oh, well, like there's only the two that are coming to mind right now. There's the Harad one and the one from um, The uh, But those are, like, insanely powerful. Like, the amount of damage you can do with those is, is ridiculous. And I, I don't know if that should be in the game for just saying, oh, well, in the case of Harad, it's like I spent a will point. Who cares? At least with the fifters, it's a, it's a my point. You know that's a less worth maybe a, a little bit more. You can do more with a my point than you can with a will point. But
0: does the shoot face count as one rule? Because then I would just say that I just don't like the shoot face, how it's designed. <laughs> that's a good one.
1: <laughs> yeah, well maybe.
0: <laughs> so like yeah, I like understand it needs to be kept simple. So you know I shoot, you shoot, and then compared to other games where like in this game, it's no matter what target you would shoot, it's the same accuracy. If you're shooting at a troll, that's an inch from you. It's the same to hit as shooting at an orc a foot away. And it's like same strength. It's like really simple, right? And it's simplicity before realism. I wouldn't mind if it was reworked to be a little more complex. I think the simplicity is a little bit overboard.
1: Really simple fix for in that case, actually, that I just remembered. And this was a thing that they did in War of the Ring. So there there's a precedence for this. Basically... Between, like, the second, the furthest half of your your range, so on a standard bow, that'd be from 12 inches away to 24 inches, your strength decreases by one of your shooting attacks. And then within, like, you know, one or zero to 12 inches, you have your normal strength of your bow. And that, just right there, that's a big difference, right, for a lot of, a lot of shooting armies, right? All of a sudden, these armies with mass strength to shooting, if they're at a range... It's going to be sixes by fours to wound D6 stuff. That's a big difference, and I don't think that's a very complicated thing to do to, to to fix it either, right? And then also, from my understanding, historically, bows are much more deadly up close.
2: Hmm. I wonder if that would be the same for uh, for a throwing weapon then.
1: Well, I I don't know. I think they they just I mean throwing weapons at the range is so short anyway. I think they just kept it normal. They just kept it and just keep it the way it is. But but like. In terms of complicating things and adding in special rules, I think that's probably like the simplest like the easiest thing you could do,
2: yeah
1: but I
0: think it's more than just the shoot phase. it's also like how bows are the way that like archers are written in this game they're kind of like under costed and that's why there's like the bow limit because honestly, if every army could have a hundred percent bow, would you just go a hundred percent bow
2: yeah if... I, I kind of agree with you, like if anything. They should lean on the make bows over and where you're taking it to try to have a tactical advantage to force the enemy to come to you but essentially you're overpaying and then the more bows you take is just the more you want to guarantee to win the shoot war but then like you know you're probably not spending the points the most efficiently
0: yeah so something needs to be reworked on i think not just the way um Shooting works, but also um, how it's costed
1: and the army
0: list writing portion of it as well, the army building portion.
1: It's just kind of funny. Like, if you go online and you look at things, whenever people get into the game, it's always new people complain. They're like, oh my God, why do bows suck at this game so much? Like, they're so useless, nothing dies. And then you see all of these people who've been playing for like a while, and they're like, no. We don't need to make the better, like, relax. And, like, people are like, why can't we shoot farther, like, with Volley Fire? And everybody, like, who remembers those days is like, God, no, no, never again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I guess the rule that I would change or remove doesn't really affect the competitive scene that much. It's more of a quality of life thing for me. I'm not a huge fan of any of the hatred keywords or special rules. I find that this rule is, or should be, delegated to more thematic scenarios. Because when it's built into a profile, I find that generally you're paying for this rule that is very, very niche, and most of these models, or a lot of them, end up being overcosted. Like for example, the Moria Black Shield. And then also, even if it's built into a, a unit for free and on a on a decently priced unit. I find that if you're at a tournament, it's one of those things where, like, when you go up against an army that activates the hatred special rules, like, it's kind of unfair. Like, you almost feel bad for the opponent, and then if you're versing an army, or most of your other games just don't do anything, and then you feel like you're overpaying for the rule. So, I guess I'm just not a fan of, of that rule in general.
1: That is, yeah, that's a good point. It does It does feel like that, like, if you don't get it to pull off, you're like, oh, these units suck. They're overcosted. Like, I'm not, like, super happy with them. And then when you get it, it's like, oh, these suitors are great. They're so under They're amazing. It it is, like, pretty swingy.
0: 100% agree. It's like
1: <clears throat>
0: back in Episode 10 when we talked about Black Shields, it's a feels bad when you have to pay one point for hatred towards dwarves, right? And then on the other hand, I don't think, like, the Dunlin pay for their hatred of Rohan and then, like, uh, Warriors of Arnor don't pay for Hatred of Angmar. But then if you do actually face those factions, it's like, I, I would feel bad for like your opponent. You just get plus one to wound on every single model in their army yeah. for free.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's not even like a small bonus. It's like, it's plus one to wound. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Everyone yeah. has
2: barely.
1: <laughs> yeah, I definitely think it should be a scenario special rule. So then would you guys just say... To, to alter those profiles, just maybe give them, like, ancient enemies instead, and but they don't pay for it. How do we feel about ancient enemies, by the way, if we're kind of on this thing? Because it's the same kind of thing. Like, if you pay a point for it, you hate it. But then if you don't pay a point for it, it's like you're, like, indifferent to it. Like, it's not like it's that great anyway, you know?
0: Gundabad orcs don't pay for it, right? Because they're one point more than Morandans, but it's because they have one more courage. That sounds it.
1: right. I don't yeah. have my follow book. But yeah, they're there. I want to say they're 10 points with a spear and a shield. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. With spear, shield, 9?
0: Yeah. And they, I guess they have different weapon options, too. Like, they can't take axes and stuff. But I think it's the same as what Richard's saying. It's just ancient enemies is just a smaller degree. There's re-rolling ones against specific races. I think if you want, really want the profiles to be thematic, it would do less harm than having hatred. But it's still, like, kind of a
3: similar issue if you have to pay for it.
2: Stop the hate. <laughs>
3: yeah. I've literally been searching for, like, an hour to find an answer to this question. I can't come up with anything. I was like, there's got to be something here. I've been angry at this game too many times, but no, I can't. I'm not even angry with the game. am just angry at my dice.
2: This shows how amazing the game is. You want to keep all the rules.
3: If you were to ask Alex a few years ago, he would
0: have just said, elves, I hate elves. But then now he's started an elf army.
3: He can't hate them anymore. What rule do you want removed from the game? Elves. All the elf armies. Are them all gone?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so thanks, Andrew and Don, for that question. Our next question is from Stephen Drawnfield. Two-handed weapons make up a huge number of default models that you get from GW. However, in the current rule set, they are generally underplayed. How would you guys adjust the two-handed rules to make it a playable but not broken option?
2: So, I've thought about this quite a bit. I think, like, if we were to start from scratch realistically, I think it should be what the piercing strike special rule is right now. I think that's pretty realistic. But if you want to do something else, I was thinking, I think the negative is you can't be supporting a model using two handed because, you know, they're swinging the weapon, like, in a kind of a wild fashion. But you still either gain, you can give the bonus as still the plus one to wound or like something like plus one fight or attack or something. Probably not attack because attack is probably too good, but maybe like either stick with the plus one to wound or a plus one fight.
0: I I like that. That's pretty good. The one I came up with was even more of a smaller change. So first of all, either keep it the same as now and just make it free for all profiles because... A lot of profiles right now have to pay a point for a two-handed option. And I don't think it's good enough to pay a point to be worth a point. If they want to keep it as is, they make it free for everyone. And uh, my suggestion for a change where it would cost one point is you get a minus one on a duel only if you roll a six. So you still get the plus one to wound if you win. But then when you're rolling to see who wins, it's as normal unless you roll a six, then it becomes a five.
1: That makes the Klansman special rule amazing.
0: <laughs> you would you would have to rework the Klansman, yes, and the Knight of the White Tower. But generally for two-handed, that's what I mean.
1: That's actually not a bad suggestion, honestly, because well, just talking about like the Klansman and the Knight of the White Tower, those are like two models who actually kind of feel worth it to run them because they have a way to circumvent that negative one. So that's not bad. I, inherently, I like the idea of having two-handed weapons and the function they perform in the game. It's just an easy way for most lists to be able to have access to, like, plus one to wound. So I like that, because that kind of, like, helps speed up the game. and kind of have to make some decisions. But I agree, yeah, that, like, the way it works right now is not great.
3: I would say, if you use a two-handed weapon, you get plus one to your strength when resolving strikes, but you get minus one to your defense, just because it's kind of a reckless swing of a weapon as opposed to something that's more controlled.
0: This might not be what Alex suggested, but it's like a idea coming from what he said is what if it's like a piercing strike, but then you can kind of like stack on top of it. So like if you piercing strike, it's it's a minus D3 to defense for one more strength. But then if you two handed piercing strike, it's like a plus two to your strength, which is plus one to wound. But then you like minus D6 to your defense or minus D3 plus one or something like that. So it's like a bigger version of the piercing strike. I don't know
1: you want to hear a better rant about two-handed weapons just go to listen to like any episode of an unexpected podcast I'm sure Matt will <laughs> go off on it I do love those rants by the way if you listen to this podcast I do love those rants so I'm not dashing you
0: <laughs> okay thank you Stephen for that question our next question is from Ian Campbell what is the one profile that you all love to run regardless of its competitive value whether it's for flavor, nostalgia, or that white-knuckle determination to prove that it is viable.
3: You know, I actually I thought about this because I got a little bit of ribbing at the end of the last episode from the guys being like, you've talked so much about Khaz of Doom," so I was like, I have, to find a, I have to think of a profile that isn't the King's Champion. It can't be the King's Champion, and...
2: Oh, just say the Herald.
3: Oh, just the Herald, yeah. The Herald and the King's Champion. It's fantastic. You can't argue with me now, guys.
2: So I have a bit of
1: a, a double whammy here. And things that I like to try, so the question is, like, things we like to try and make competitive, even though probably not super competitive. Yeah. Okay. I would like to submit to you the humble warrior of Rohan, because throwing spears, as I have said, are OP as hell. And I will get this uh, hashtag trending someday, I swear. I will try forever and always for Rohan OP.
2: I will say you were early on the scene, but I feel like a lot of people have caught up now. I don't know if this is so underrated anymore. I see a lot of Rohan throwing spears running around these days.
1: Fair enough. But this tags on to my second thing, which is our lovely Grimbold. We love him. Love to see him out. Helmingas, you know, that that's a nice upgrade. It makes your Warriors of Rohan like really expensive, and, and, and maybe it's not worth it. I don't know. Ten points for fight three if you give him the throwing spears. It's, it kind of hurts your soul a little bit. But Grimbold, Grimbold, my man, the damage-dealing beast, he's amazing. He can kill anything. He just can't
2: win a fight. <laughs> yeah, Ian, we but, just talked about how bad two-handed. I like- know, <laughs> I
1: know. That's, like, part of the reason why I love him. But like, he has to use his two-handed weapon. And, like, when he wins fights, he kills when he's fighting. But, like, he just, like, never wins fights. I think he just gets overshadowed because he still has the three might, right?
0: Is the- he an auto-take in Theodred's Guard, would you say?
1: No. <laughs> I don't know well, if he's ever an auto-take. Yeah, it's like, in Theodred's Guard, at least personally the way I run it, it goes like, obviously you have to take Theodred, and I like Theodred a lot, so Theodred, and then it's who you want to support him, and... Personally, I prefer Elfhelm, because he has like nice throwing spear shenanigans and heroic defense, and he's another mounted hero. But you know, Grimbald's in there, he's a close second. And, and I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I have had Theodrid and Grimbald charge into a Mumak with a couple other guys and, and kill it in one turn. That's a lot of damage potential from just those two models by themselves. So I don't know if he's an auto include, I just think he needs some more love <laughs> and maybe a horse. I don't know, people online complain about him having a horse, and then I've heard the justification for him not having a horse is that it would be OP because he has Mighty Blow, but then Thryden has Mighty Blow and he has a horse, so...
0: And Thryden has a one-handed
1: option. And Thryden has a one-handed option, <laughs> so it still wouldn't even, like, it wouldn't even make him that, like, great. Yeah, why not just give him a horse GW? Like, what what the hell? <laughs> I still don't think he'd be taken, as like, that much, honestly. I swear,
3: in 2022, we're going to get, like, a blister pack that's, like... Mounted Celeborn, Mounted Grimbold. It's, it's going to be like all the heroes that have been memed for not having a horse. They're all going to get horses.
2: A blister pack, but they won't have the profile to allow them to take horses.
3: <laughs> it'll, it'll be uh, anarian.
2: Just be like those vignettes that they make.
0: <laughs> so for my pick, uh, I tried to make work a few times is the Wood Elf from the Lothlorien list, the ones that are unarmored. It was easier last edition. They were really good. But now that they force you to take them with Elven Cloaks, and so they went up by a point, uh, it's been really difficult to make them worth their points. But I just like the idea of low defense, high fight value, and kind of just play like a a skirmish kind of strategy with them, where you just take a lot of them and then you... Take them with throwing daggers, with bows, and then you hit and run in like a wooded area and then just having them hit really hard. I also really like the idea of the Wood Elf sphere being able to support and shield with them. So I, I like a lot about them, but they just they just don't really work now. I'm hoping that one day maybe they'll be viable again because it was a lot of fun whenever I did play with them.
3: I mean it is thematic, isn't it? That cause they have the the elven cloak and the elven cloak is now what, if you're partially obscured by terrain, correct? I guess at least in that case, like if they are playing in the woods, they get good use of their elven cloaks. But like last edition, I'd see a lot, especially from Ian, especially from Ian, of uh, elf armies where he'd have like the wood elf spears in the back in alliances with lower fight value armies in the front because then he'd get the fight five. Point is, it was filthy. And it was part of the reason why I was so angry with elves in last edition. You know who I really want to work? What do you guys think of the Wood elf Sentinel? I feel like for the it's for the it's co- working sometimes I feel like for the cost, it doesn't do its job. They're just such beautiful models, and I want to see them more.
1: I think they do work. I'm just like i'm I'm still not over the fact that they were twenty five points last edition with the super amazing cloak. And then the Super Amazing Cloak got nerfed, and, and rightfully so, it should have been nerfed, but then the Sentinels stayed the same cost. And I, I just, like, 25 points for a Defense 3 model is is a lot, and they can die, like, relatively easily. So I, I think they should just go down by a few points, even if they just went to, like like, 21 or 22 points, I think that'd be better then i think that they'd be they'd be appropriately costly, but they still perform a good function in the list i think and and what they're pulling things i've so down a little bit since the last time we talked about
3: them you know who i've realized is probably another profile that ian's been trying to make work even though we've all said like 15 times ian no it doesn't work stop it king's huntsman in the rohan list every i all... have
1: the bottle i want him to work <laughs> How See? many points are there right now? Are they, like, are they like 50 points? They're maybe 50, they should be, they're like fifty 40. points. They're 50 Make points. Make them 40 or something. I don't know. Because they are, they are just useless once combat hits. Or maybe just let them give them the ability to shoot into combat. But, like, it's the same kind of thing. Like, like they get a reroll on their in-the-ways. But if they hit your model, they can still kill your own model. Maybe give them that or something. Like something a little bit better.
2: Before Alex brings up his fourth profile, let me give mine. <laughs> I think one that I've been playing with a lot recently, trying to make it work, is Drewzeg the Beast Caller. I think the guys can attest to it. I played a couple games with them, but I just think that the cost isn't quite there. And as much as I like like the shenanigans with enraged Beast, I always find that like. It's strange that him being costed at 90 points, he only has five will. And it just doesn't last for very long. Like, there's times where you really want the Enraged Beast to go off. So I tend to find that you're getting maybe three activations every game. And he doesn't really do anything else because he's not a fighter at all. So you're essentially paying 90 points for three of those spells. Which which seems extremely overcosted when you compare to some of his like other name shaman counterparts I guess in like Cardish or even like Belthasaron because they have the consistency that he doesn't. What I would love to see is him either going down even like maybe like 20 points or give him like plus one will every turn because I just feel like that spell is really fun to play and it's a shame that so, it's not good
1: you've just given me another idea richard which is why not just give him the special rule that Cardush has where like he can kill a goblin and get back a will point or something you can buff him up but then there's a negative to that also why don't we make rules like that more prolific throughout the game so then these small like spellcasters can actually get will back and do things for more than like two turns but you have a negative, like you you lose a model or some something happens. Like
2: there is like yeah, is a, I like that. Yeah, Especially yeah, with evil. yeah. I mean the evil
1: side one I think is pretty easy. You just say you lose a model, and get back will. I don't know what you could do on the good side for that, but there's only like one. There's like the sentinel that can do that. I don't think there's any other like shaman level things on the good side think, besides that.
2: I think maybe for good side maybe you can exchange like a might point for a will because generally might is more valuable.
1: Me, yeah, uh, I I'd say more than one will because I don't think you'd ever use it for one.
0: I think a reasonable buff for Druzegg is maybe to make him a Hero Valor, because then it, it means that you don't have to take Dervur's. And Evil Side took a big hit with that FAQ where now you need a Hero
2: Valor to ally.
0: And I think if you could just ally Druzegg as a single warband into an army list, that would be a big buff.
2: Oh, yeah, exactly. Don't get me started on that. You <laughs> want to put him with Dark Denizens into Merkwood, but then it's like you need to add Dervur's 70 point tax. Uh-huh.
1: But then again, do you want to see Druzak running around with like a two bat swarms in every evil list you play against? Yes, <laughs> <'Cause> of course. <laughs> <laughs> Is Moris like yellow with everything?
0: Well, what about if you buff the actual spell instead of the Druzak profile? Since he's the only one with the spell anyway, this might be a, a little OP. But the idea, the idea I had was maybe just a channel version, but. The model that gets enraged stays enraged until they die.
3: <laughs>
1: so
0: they keep taking the Strength 10 hit every turn until they die. Deal. I'll take it.
1: <laughs> I don't know if I love that, Charles. I'm not sure I love that. Because like, I'm just thinking, like he has five will, right? So let's say you have five Bad Swarms in your list. Yeah, it's And it's you just automatically, and like, you, you need some luck here, obviously, but you just have five enraged batsworms just running around constantly. Like, that'd be insane. Be absolutely insane. it only be strength like four, though.
2: Strength five. Strength five, four attacks. Oh. And, yeah. and, and fight three that halves the fight value. Like, no, that's disgusting. He would be like a 250 point. He would be LSR points. If yeah. You
3: know that. Yeah. Like, that'd be absolutely insane. I love how I was like, this might be a little bit OP, but how about everyone as a ward chieftain? <laughs> <laughs> now, the one profile that I feel like it needs a change is, I know statistically on paper it, it looks like it should be really good, but we've talked about this before. And it's Shagrat, Captain of Cerith There's something about this profile that needs a little bit of a boost. Whether it's he needs to be fight six... He also just needs to be a, a hero of valor at this point because of the FAQ. He's only a fortitude. The fact that I have to take him and then take one of the one of the ring wraiths, or I have to take like the mouth of Sauron. But again, like it's 70 plus point tax to take him. I love the stat line. And he has heroic strike. And with the massive shield, I wish you'd have heroic defense too, because that shield is huge. He gets blood and glory, but then it feels like whenever he comes up against elves or a bigger hero, like anything that's fight six on the good side, he's just dead immediately, even though he is defense seven. It's just like, it's he's he starts to struggle immediately, and I think it's the fight five.
2: My, my counterpoint is I know we've talked on this podcast a little bit, and I know talking to you guys, we're not the biggest fan of Shagrat, but I think going by stat-wise... He's not the most, you know, overcosted hero, or I don't really think he needs a buff. And plus, like I think there's a lot of people who would disagree with us, and you see that because he's quite common in Mortar lists that I see in in tournaments. So I don't think he's he's one of those characters that there's there's many other models in line who are more needing of a buff. Yeah, I like where he is.
3: I agree, it is annoying.
1: Like he should be able to ally outside of Mordor without needing a babysitter. I agree about that. But that just goes back to like, like, why do we have that? Like, we should just reverse that. That that FAQ. Because the other thing that I actually really like about his profile is that he has a heroic challenge and he's fortitude. So he just go around to all of these like captain level heroes. And go, you are gonna kill you. And they go, oh, down, no, please down. he goes, okay, well, you're useless now for the rest of the game. I love that, like, gameplay, that, that that like, options that are available to you. Challenge never gets used because it's always, like, Valor, Heroes, and above trying to challenge each other. But this guy's just like, no, I'm going to go beat up, like, really shitty little guys. Just, like, this shitty little captain. So I, I, like, I like his profile. I think he's fine the way he is, yeah.
0: Okay, so thank you to Ian Campbell for that question. Okay, so... We have a second question from Pat Bertoli, and he says, other podcasts have touched on this a little bit, but I'd be curious for your thoughts about whether you like the current level of rules complexity, or if you believe that it would be beneficial for the game to streamline the rules to weed out some of the less relevant rules, for example, special strikes and the less used heroic actions, etc. So do we think that the game is too complicated right now and needs some streamlining and simplifying, or is it good where it is? I think there's definitely some rules that are a little bit irrelevant, kind of like the things that Pat says, maybe like Heroic Resolve, Heroic Challenge, and like Whirl and stuff like that. But I don't think it makes it more complicated, because if you go and play games against like more beginner level they generally kind of just ignore special strikes right so i don't think that it's like a barrier for new players to get into the game i think it's fine uh, the complexity level the way it is because you don't need to know every single rule in order to play at a tournament
1: i don't think rules wise we're doing too bad in terms of complexity I mean, we're, we're kind of maybe getting to like a, like a borderline place where it could start getting a little crazy right now. But I, I don't think it's too bad. I think that the base of the game is still quite simple, right? Opposed to that, I would say we might need a new edition soon because these FAQs are getting quite substantial. And there are some pretty important things in there. And like we forget, like I forget things that, that are in there all the time. If you ask me what happened two years ago in the FAQ, it was probably really big then. I don't remember. Like I like like it happens all the time. Like even with us, like we're veteran players, and we like we ask each other these like questions that that random questions come. On. We go, oh, I don't know. I mean, it's in the FAQ. Let's go check. And then the documents are huge, right? So it's I would say maybe we're, we're kind of in need for that. Like in terms of in terms of simplification, we're kind of in need of something like like that, like a new edition or something. But I, I don't know if the rules themselves need to be buttoned up much.
3: The couple of times that I've taught people to play the game. I like the way the structure of the game is, the way the rules work. First thing that I normally do is go through a game with them where we just go and we do the phases. We're going to do this phase and we do this phase, and I just do the basics. I don't include any special strikes. I don't include magic the first time around. I don't include heroic actions the first time around. We essentially just go back and forth until that makes sense. And then when that makes sense, then you talk about special strikes, heroic actions. But once you've got the hang of how the game operates at a basic level, it's funny because the, the heroic actions, some of them, you know, it, it may seem like a lot of actions. But then once you get used to it, there's like three actions that nobody uses. I have
0: saying that should we just get rid of the stuff that people don't use altogether?
1: It's nice to have them for corner cases, though.
3: Yeah. I was going to say, like, if nobody uses them, then they're not overcomplicating the game. I wouldn't say get rid of them, just because every once in a while somebody wants to throw it in there, and that's fine. But, yeah, it's like Heroic Resolve. I don't think I've ever seen Heroic Resolve used maybe once. Heroic Challenge, like, worst case scenario, you've got to pull out a rule book and reread how that heroic action works. But for the most part, I think everyone uses the same, like, four five actions. So, I think it's okay.
1: Okay, I've changed my mind slightly. Despite what I said earlier about, like, I enjoy, like, the idea of challenge, I don't know if that should be in the game. Or maybe just, like, keep it as, like, is like a scenario a rule you can use. Because in actual, like, play, or at least tournament play, it's like, we're playing the game, I declare this challenge, if you accept it, okay, now we have a game and we have a mini game that we can't do anything about we can't touch it. And like I I don't know if that should be that kind of a thing should be there. But for the other like niche rook actions, like it's nice to have it for corner cases.
0: I don't mind that not all of the actions are equally viable and not all of the special strikes are equally viable. I think having some that are more corner case, it rewards people that are more experienced with the rules if they can just kind of pull a trick out of their sleeve. I like the idea of that just playing a game and then suddenly your opponent thinks of something that people don't usually think of and a rule that doesn't get used a lot and pulls a trick. I like the idea of that. So I don't have a problem with uh, with how it is right now. I think generally it's it's pretty good. Okay, so that has been all of our Q&A questions. Thank you everyone for listening and thank you for continuing to support the podcast. Look forward to the next episode of Into the West.